No, not sit here. You got to draw it. Oh, yeah, that's fine. All right. We have a uh, we have a couple of new faces, Heather. All right, I want you guys to open up your Bibles. If you did, oh, can I have all the lights? Because I know some people stayed up all night long. <laughs> um, so if you could, right? If you're tired, I will not be. I will actually be encouraged. I will be encouraged if you stand up if you're tired. All right, so I need, I need you guys to open up your Bibles. I need you to write down three verses. That's it. Three Bible verses. No, not yet. No, no, no. This is for today. Just today. All right, so the first Bible verse. What, what's wrong? Hey, so did Shania. And it's locked in your car over in Florida. Genesis 12.3. That's your first passage. Genesis 12.3, Chris. Where's your Bible in your notebook? Go get it. Genesis 12.3, Genesis 12.3. Okay, write that down. Second one I want you to write down, Matthew 28.18 through 20. Matthew 28.18 through 20. Just 20. Mm-hmm. 28.18 through 20. <clears throat> and then the last thing I want you to write down is Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. This is what we'll be talking about. How many of you guys have ever, ever seen a timeline before? I hope you guys have seen a timeline yeah. before. All right. What's at the front of a timeline? The beginning of something, right? She's going to draw a timeline from here over to here. In the beginning, she's going to put Genesis, the Genesis passage. In the middle, she's going to put the Matthew passage. And at the, revela- at the end, she's going to put the Revelation passage. Okay? All right. So as we go through these, pass- these three passages, you're going to look them up and we're going to discuss them, okay? This is dealing with the mission of God. How many of you guys know what the mission of God is? How many of you guys know what the mission of God is? If you are in our youth group, you have heard this term billions and billions of times, right? Probably not literally, but you've heard it a lot. The reason is, is because repetition means that you will remember it. I want you, I think a lot about when you guys leave. I think a lot about when you guys leave. What will you remember? What will you take with you when you go off to big church or you leave and move to a different city or a different state? Where will you go? What will you do? I want you to, I want to think, I think a lot about what will you take from here? There's two things that I want you to take from here. This is part of my goal and why I do what I, would, uh, what I do. The first thing, of course, is salvation. So that's, I'm not even going to count that. But the first thing is that you have some sort of idea what your spiritual gift is, what your talents are, and how you can serve the church. That's what I care about. I care about how you can serve the church so that when you go, you automatically think, oh, in what capacity could I serve the church? And then hopefully you have a slew of things. If you are part of the worship team, hopefully you don't just join our worship team. Hopefully in the future, if you go to uh, JCA or you go to that church in Athens, which, uh, Grace, Grace, Grace Athens, right? You go there or you go to the, you, a small group. You have a small group or uh, even Tay. Tay doesn't play guitar or sing very well. He admits it. But he started a college group in Macon because his little church doesn't have a college group. It's a little, uh, little podunk, little Korean church in Macon, Georgia, and there's only like 10, 7, 7 to 10 young people. And so he started a college group at his house, and he, starts, he leads worship because nobody else can lead worship. And I'm pretty sure they're just like, oh, well, that's nice. But, but some of you guys are actually really talented. 
So I think about, number one, what you can take, how you're trained, if you know your spiritual gift and you're operating in it. So if you do not operate in a spiritual gift, you are not growing and training and, uh, and looking for ways to encourage the church, then you are not following my plan, which is okay, but I think you're missing out if you do that. The second thing I want you to know is the mission of God. You think about encouraging the church and you think about encouraging the world. If you know the mission of God, then you start, hopefully, what I'm trying to do here and what Philip is trying to do here is that we're shaping you so that you get used to it. Did you know most adults would never go door to door because it's too scary? It's too hard. But yet you guys, a lot of you guys have done door to door millions of times. Samuel Lee is good at door to door. He does it all the time. Sean is shaking in her boots. She went and she was like, I don't know if I want to shut. And Sam was like, just come on, follow me. You know, he's just going to knock, knock, knock. Hey, we're from a good screen Methodist church. And da, 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 da. You right? We want you to carry the mission of God out of here because the problem with the, the mission of God is most Christians don't do it. They might know it. They actually most don't, don't know it either. They might know it, but they don't do it. Now, there is a big, big problem because what I'm going to show you tonight is that the entire purpose of the entire Bible is that the mission of God is accomplished. That's the purpose of the Bible. You know how like there's a lot of people like, I, let me show you how science is wrong and the Bible proves this and this. That's not what the Bible's for. Nor is the Bible about this cosmic little, you know, like, um, like fortune teller. Like, oh, let me see what God wants me to do. And he opens it and is this who I'm going to marry? Yes or no? You open your Bible and you read a, a passage. The Bible is not for you, personally, for your own benefit. On a global scale, yes, absolutely. And we're going to look at what the Bible, the, the entire purpose of the Bible is. Yeah? All right, but the first thing that we need to deal with is you. How many of you guys have been told you can do anything you want if you work hard at it? Is that true or false? False. Why? <laughs> I tried so hard. They, I can't be a ballerina. Some of you are like, well, maybe. <laughs> You're very lithe. <laughs> Thank you. I get that all the time. <laughs> I can do the splits like Sandy. No, I couldn't be a ballerina. I don't have the gen gen genetics, <laughs> the genesis. I don't have the gen genesis for it. I don't have the genetics for it. That's just not who I am, you know? Some of you guys will never be like NFL football players, and that's okay. We don't need to be anything that we dream to be. We just need to be who God created us to be. Oh, oh Pentecostal here. <laughs> right? All right, so let's, all right, let's get rid of let's get rid of the selfishness. Let's get rid of the selfishness. So the mission of God is not about you. I'm gonna tell a very, very, very difficult story. When I left, I was in YWAM, youth with a mission, for nine years. I was a missionary. I went to missions when I was 19, 20 years old, something like that, right? Met the love of my life there. Hallelujah. I think that's the only reason I went. But I went to YWAM, but we also called it uh, Young Women After Men, <laughs> which is very true because there's a lot of ladies that were, I'm very exotic uh, in, in certain contexts. <coughs> Nobody says anything. Uh, because it was like all white people, and I was like me. Just like me. All right, move. Thanks. <laughs> all right. So... <laughs> So I was in, in YWAM for nine years, right? And I thought I loved missions. I thought I was doing all this for God. But you know who I was really doing missions for? Me. Why? Because I'm selfish. Why? Explain it. Explain it. What, what, what's going on in my heart? Why would I do missions? I want to feel better about myself. Because what did you know about my past? You guys all know my testimony. What, what was the big thing about my past? Inadequacy. I did not feel valuable. I did not feel important, right? 
My parents said I was never going to amount to anything, whatever, this, 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 right? You have a lot of insecurities in your heart for whatever reason, for whatever brokenness, just because of the life, life is hard, right? And then we end up trying to do things to make ourselves feel better. I did missions for nine years. My wife married me because she thought I was going to be a missionary, and I was a missionary for a time. She wanted to marry a missionary because she wanted to travel all over the world and do missions because she loves missions. She loves God. She was probably much more healthy uh, in her understanding of why she did the mission of God. But I was not healthy. I was a very, very sick person. Now, you couldn't tell because I was a talented worship leader. I was a leader. I was, I was uh, one of the directors. I was a training director, so I was over, over all the training schools, right? But I was all doing it for my own reasons. I left... YWAM, right? And then I went into that one-year depression. I told you, deep, deep depression. I would stay up from, I would, I would stay up till like four or five in the morning, just sit on the porch, not talking. I would just sit on the porch. My wife wouldn't, I had three little kids. Ezekiel was just born. And I would just sit there for the entire year. I didn't talk. And then on Tuesday nights, we had worship practice for this church that I worked for. And I just turned it on and every time, every, Howard was happy. Nobody knew anything about my life. And then on Sundays, I just turned it on, and they thought I walked on water. They thought I was so holy because I knew how to go through the motions. I was playing this game, but for a year I was depressed, and I was depressed because my identity was stripped away from me. I was no longer a missionary, and I needed missions to make me feel good. Missions was all about me, and so when I went to college, when I went to Columbia International University, I figured out that this was a big problem in my life and I was doing missions, I was doing things for God because I wanted to feel valuable and not for God's sake. And I told my wife, I said, I don't want to ever do missions ever again. I mean, not short-term missions, but like move overseas. And it crushed my wife because she thought we were going to finish Bible college, master's degree, move overseas. And I said, I don't want to have anything to do with missions. I told her. I was, I was here at this church when, I, when my wife and I had this conversation. I want anything. And that's why in the first half of my ministry here at this church, I never talked about the mission of God because it was not something that God had taken me through yet. And so I was broken, and I didn't want to do missions because I knew I was a faker. And it took some time before I started to heal, and I started to really focus on God and really falling in love with God in a deep sense of way, not to use the things of God for my own benefit. And God started to heal my heart and really develop a passion for the lost. And when I started to pray, I started to pray for the lost. When I started to think and meditate on people, I started to think about the lost. And so now every message I preach has something to do with the mission of God because God has healed it so much. And what's really neat about my wife is that she's, she's okay either way, wherever we go, because now she understands that the mission of God is wherever you find yourself to be. So when you take yourself outside of the thing that God has called you to, or the, the, thing that, uh, the things of God, right? If you take yourself outside of it, all of a sudden you can see it in a much healthier way. It's not really about you. This is the thing about us. When we go on mission trips, when we go to Nicaragua, we want to feel good about ourselves. But if that's where we stop, we're missing it. We're perverting missions. Because there is one thing that missions is for. You know what it is? It's not salvation. Missions is not for salvation. Missions, missions is for glory. Missions is for the glory of God. That's it. We do missions to bring glory to God. What, do, what happens when somebody gets saved? What do they begin to do? Praise God. We were created for what? It's like cachets and stuff and songs. We were created for worship. That's what we were created to do. We were created to praise God. We were created to bring glory to God in everything that we do. Our lifestyle, the way we live, the way we move, right? Missions is for glory. 
for God's glory. That's why we do missions. And when we put ourselves in the place of missions, right? Missions all of a sudden becomes about making myself feel better. What are we stealing from God? Where, where, are, we, where, where are we placing that glory? The glory that was intended for God, where are we placing that glory? On ourselves. That's idolatry. Anybody heard of the Ten Commandments? Right? What's the, what's the Ten Commandments about? What's one of the Ten Commandments about idolatry? Right. No other gods before me, including yourself. You cannot be an idol in front of God. You cannot be a glory taker from God. There's some harsh passages in Romans about that. Deep-seated sin that comes from not giving things to God, not giving God what is due, which is everything. So we do missions, we have to do that in the right heart, because if we don't, if we go door to door so we can feel better about ourselves and not care about those people and not care about the glory of God, then we are stealing God's glory. And that is a huge, huge, huge sin. We can't go door to door and hope people to get, uh, get saved because we want to feel better about ourselves. We cannot. Does that make sense? When we do this orphanage, or not orphanage, the community center or the, the uh, mission center, and we renovate that room in hopes that, that, that teens will come and enjoy and all this stuff, and we can come back and say, hey, this is what we did all the summer, and feel better, pat, pat ourselves on the back. We are stealing away from God. We cannot do that. So what is the right mentality? The right mentality is adoration. This is why we start every worship service with praise. Sometimes we don't know why we praise. Sometimes we just sing songs because it's catchy and it's fun and it's exciting and I like that melody and the way it feels and oh, that wording, it's so beautiful. Sloppy wet kiss. That's a great lyric, right? And we forget why we do this. We do missions because of adoration as well. We start with healthy missions because of adoration. When we start with adoration, we start thinking, oh, God is worthy. Oh, God saved me. God changed me. This is my trajectory. We've been talking about trajectory over and over again. My trajectory was going this way towards death. I would have been divorced. I would have had broken children. I would have been in, in deep, deep addictions to many, many things. That's my trajectory. Reproducing what my family had put into me. That was my trajectory. That's where I was moving. But God took me out of his graciousness and saved me. And started to change my heart from the inside out. So I don't even look like the same person. Christy was talking today because I had to call some of these of our leaders in to have a little bit of a, a talk. And she's like, oh, you're going to get it. Howard's upset. Howard's mad, right? And I'm like, you've never seen me mad. My kids have seen me mad. But you have not seen me angry. When I get angry, I'm uncontrollable. I have, I'm like Hulk, except no muscles. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, but that is so far from me, from who I used to be, because God has been gracious enough to change my life. And when I start to reflect on those kind of things, then I think, man, God is worthy. God is worthy of my worship. God is worthy of everything that I do with my life. God is more important than anything that I do in my life. I no longer care about my own career, what I want to accomplish with my life, my name, my reputation, uh, making my parents happy, so and on, on and on and on. I, start stop, I stop caring about those things because God all of a sudden becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, all I want to do is live my life for God completely. Now, not crazy completely. Like, Have you seen that commercial, Follow the Frog? You should see it. I'll, I'll show it tomorrow. We don't have internet. I'll try to figure out how to show it tomorrow. 
but it's basically this one, you know, this yuppie white guy who like reads on cereal or on newspaper that the rainforest is getting chopped down, and so he's like, oh no, I got to do something about it. So he quits his job, he moves to uh, to South America, and he tries to like. Um, create this campaign with all of the natives to, to stop these, the, these uh, construction, uh, uh, the bulldozers to tear it down. And he, and he loses his phone, he gets cut up, he's lost in the jungle, gets like yellow fever and all like, you know, so on and so on. And then he comes back and his wife has left him. He, he's trying to get his job back, but he can't. And then now he finds his wife is with some other guy. And like, it's just a commercial, it's like a crazy commercial. He's like, you don't have to do all that crazy stuff. He says, just buy you know, products that have this frog symbol on it, whatever, follow the frog. I'm not saying like all of this crazy stuff. I'm just saying that in your core, in your heart of hearts, missions becomes about adoration. All of a sudden, you don't have to do everything crazy. Just everything that you do in your life becomes about adoration because you adore God because it's out of this sense of worship, not out of a sense of self or, uh, or, or idolatry. You get what I'm saying? So let's talk about mission of God. There's only three verses that I'm going to show you today, or I want you to really focus on. It's really simple. Genesis 12.3. Anybody for 100 points, tell me what Genesis 12.3 is about without looking it up. Not Josh. Come on. We've talked about this billions and billions of times. What's Genesis 12.3? Uh, it has to do with Abraham. <laughs> what? College? What? What? Father? What? Father of many nations. What? 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 <laughs> you looked it up, didn't you? She's like. <laughs> she didn't with the GLDI. She's wearing the shirt. That's cheating. <laughs> I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What is that, somebody? What is that? What? No, Proto-Evangelion. You just wanted to use that word, Proto-Evangelion. What's the Proto-Evangelion, guys? Just for, just for review. What? What? Go? No, the Proto-Evangelion is what? What? Austin? Snake. Yes. Yes! That's the Proto-Evangelion. Proto, proto means what? What? Proto means what? You guys know what pro prototype? First of? First, yeah, first of, right? Proto, first of. Proto Evangelion. What's Evangelion? Evangelism. No. What? No. Gospel. Proto Evangelion is first gospel, right? That's when, God, that's when God shows that He will deal with Satan. He will crush His head, and Satan will try to, uh, to strike His heel. That's the Proto-Evangelion. But that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> Genesis 12, 3 is the promise that God makes to Abraham that he will have a child. Remember? How many babies are, are, are uh, what were the patriarchs? Abraham? Isaac. Yes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had how many kids? Right? Why? They had a baby-making contest, right? They became the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And then Israel started to become a population, you remember? Through Egypt, they were in Egypt and stuck in there for a while and then became enslaved, right? Then who let them go? Who brought them out? Joseph? No. <laughs> Joseph brought them into Egypt. Who brought them out of Egypt? Moses, right? Moses. And then they wander around the desert for how many years? Who takes them into promised land? Joshua, yes. Joshua Cooper right there. 
<laughs> and they get into the promised land, and then what happens? They become a nation, right? They start to take over. They wipe out all the armies in, the, in Canaan, right? That, that's the promised land, right? And then all of a sudden it becomes a nation. They get, you know, like it grows and grows and grows and grows. Okay, but this is the very beginning. This is Genesis 12, 3. But you think it's all about Israel, but it's more than Israel. What is the second part of Genesis 12, 3? And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be, so, shall be blessed. So who is, um, who is God thinking about here? Is he talking about Israelites? He's talking about all families, all nations. We'll talk about that word. You'll hear that word a lot, all nations. Genesis twenty two eighteen. you don't have to turn to it. And it says, God says to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This is when God reiterates the promise, re-promises the promise. Middle school, if you do not understand what I'm talking about, raise hands and, and ask questions. Because sometimes the high school, they don't know what I'm saying either. But they don't, they're afraid to ask the questions. So ask questions. I have no problem, okay? Because I want you to get this. So God makes this promise to Abraham that through Abraham's offspring or children, he will bless the entire earth. Now, this is interesting. Galatians 3.16, this is Paul writing. He explains that he's not talking about Abraham's children. He's not talking about Israel. He's talking about one offspring. This is Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is who? Jesus. This leads us to Matthew, the passage in Matthew. Okay? So God promises Abraham in Genesis 12.3, that there will be somebody that comes from his genetic line who ends up being Jesus, who shows up in Matthew, which is the Gospels. If you have not read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, read them. Mark is the comic book version, uh, book version of, the, of the Gospels. It's short and action-packed. Okay, so if you have a hard time reading some of you YouTube junkies, read Mark. Okay, it's shorter. But Matthew, what, oh, Jesus, okay. Then you had Jesus, right? So um, uh, Jesus shows up on the scene, and of course, he changes everything. All of a sudden, now we're talking about nations being blessed. So maybe this this first section here is the Old Testament, and it's talking about the, the story of Israel, right? And Israel's blessing. But then something happens in the middle of Israel's blessing. Does anybody remember? Remember, Israel is split into two. Anybody remember? Israel and... Judah, oh, well, she's a PK, that's not fair. Israel and Judah, and then what happens? Israel and Judah get what? What? Into a fight? No, they've been fighting. They get into what? They get taken over. Remember who takes over Israel? Starts with an A. Assyria. And then somebody takes over Judah, who? Babylon. He went to, uh, he went to Christian school, that's not fair either. All of the rest of you guys need to read the Bible more so that you can answer some. All right, what happens? Israel gets wiped out. Israel gets wiped out. Right? And then, <laughs> right. And then the Greeks come in, and then the, finally the Romans come in, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. So this is not about, this whole story is not about Israel's glory. It's more. It's more than that. Jesus, the offspring of Je- uh, uh, Abraham, shows up on the scene, and he dies for our, on the cross for our sins so that we can be saved right? But then he, he shows up again, and he says this crazy, crazy thing. In Matthew 28, 18, how many of you guys know what Matthew 28, without opening to it, what does Matthew 28, 18, say, uh, 18 through 20 say? What is it called? The 
The Great Commission. You hear this all the time in our, in our, uh, in our um, services too. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's God has given the authority over to Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Nations is, in Greek, what word? No. What? Oh, oh, I get what you're saying. No, but what's the actual word? I said it. Assyria. Assyria. No, ethne, where we get the word what? Ethnic, right? Ethnic groups, right? Nations is ethne. It's It's not political boundaries. We're not talking about countries here. We're talking about people groups, languages, and that's what Hitek was saying. Different languages. Remember, like a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about why the church isn't dying because or why the church is dying, why churches die, and part of it's because they do not have the mission of God. And we were talking about all those people groups. How many languages did somebody speculate? Eleven thousand, right? Eleven thousand languages, depending on which uh, um, people you ask, right? And how there's a, a good chunk of them that have never even seen a Bible in their language, right? This is what we're talking about. We're talking about ethnic groups, right? Until they hear the gospel, okay? So that's the word again, uh, uh, nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, it says, observe all that I've commanded you. What does that sound like to you? What does that sound like to you? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Starts with a D. Discipleship. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. What do, I, what do we try to do in here? Disciple. Right? You have small group leaders. You have leaders. You have hyungs and opas. You have nunas and unnis. You have older brothers and older sisters and, and people like me, right? And Philip, right? And my wife that are very the prime age of our lives. Right? To teach you to obey all that, we have com- uh, all that Jesus has commanded you. But we have to do this amongst all nations. All groups of people. That's the mission of God. That is what this whole thing is building up to. This one moment here when Jesus gives us the command and this second half until Revelation, I'm going to read Revelation in a second, until the second half where we spend all our concerted efforts as the church to reach and disciple the rest of the world. All ethne, all ethnic groups, all families, all cultures, all languages. And we disciple, right, Kung? We disciple all nations. This is the mission of God. Because in the end, in Revelation, let me read this to you. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude. This is John writing, Apostle John. A great multitude that no one could number. Millions upon millions of people. Because this is generation after generation, right? From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the end. A great multitude surrounding who? The throne room of God. 
This is the end. This is the beginning. God created. He made a promise to Abraham. Jesus comes, changes everything. Then the church travels all the way to the end till there is a great multitude. This is it. Church is not about, oh, God loves everybody. Yes, that's a part of it. But the Bible is this. The church is this. This is our task. This is our job. It's not secondary. And we have this one decision, just like we talked about the LGBT community and the Muslim community and the racism that we have to deal with as the church. We have a decision to make. If we are Christians, if we say we follow Christ, then we either join Him or we do not follow Christ. That's what we were talking about with the church. Churches die because they have no mission. They are not connecting with God and nor are they following God. Now the difficulty is some of you are in here that are six, year, six, six years old, sixth grade. Some of you guys feel very, very insignificant. You feel very small. You have a lot of dysfunction in your life. You have all this stuff that are stacking against you. Good. Good. Because this is the deal. This nation, this great multitude will not come to pass by professionals. It will not. It will not come to pass through professionals. People that have gone to Bible college, people that have seminary degrees, master's degrees, PhDs. The gospel will not be preached in every ethnic people group, discipling people, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded by professionals. It will happen through ordinary people that feel insignificant and small, but have deep, deep adoration in their heart adoration for God, worship for God, that they cannot help but follow in God's plan, joining God's plan until the end. Where we come, it says in, in, in Revelation, we talk about throwing our crowns down. This is part of our crowns. This is what we say we offer God. Oh yeah, God, I spent my entire life serving you, trying to bring others to glorify you, to live and worship you like you deserve. That's what I've spent my life doing. Now, the difficult thing is, a lot of you guys are tempted every single moment of every single day to live comfortably. You watch YouTube for hours, you go to bed at four in the morning, you wake up at a certain amount of time in the <laughs> afternoon, you eat whatever you want, you spend all the money that you have, you dream about buying things and buying things and buying things. And this is your life. You don't challenge your mind. You don't have deep conversations or maybe deep relationships. If you are in this place, that is fine. But don't stay there. Because the fact of the matter is, I have this friend who lives in New Zealand. He's from New Zealand. And uh, he was, apparently the entire country of New Zealand helped make the movies Lord of the Rings. Have you, any of you guys seen it? Well, it was really cool because he, he, he was a welder. He did something, whatever, but he was on the set and there was this gigantic green screen, right? And his daughter is like two, three years old. Ella's, uh, Josiah's friend, <coughs> they're the same age now, but like she was just playing around in front of the green screen and the guy, one of his friends says, hey, come here. And they go and look at a monitor, right? And they're watching the monitor. And the guy looks, my friend, he looks, and he sees all these orcs marching by. <laughs> and she's just sitting, and of course it's professional grade, so it doesn't look fake. And, she, and she's just like standing there, like looking around like this, and orcs are like marching by, gigantic orcs in armor. And he's like, that's amazing, that's so cool. And they were just talking about it. This is what is happening potentially 
in your own Christian life is that God is moving in powerful, crazy ways. And you will be completely oblivious. You will be standing in the middle of everything happening all around you and you will have no idea. What I do not wish for you guys is that when you guys contact me when you're older, actually some of you, like if you guys own a restaurant, like a really like like four Michelin stars or whatever, you know, then yeah, please let me come to your restaurant, eat for free. <coughs> but, but, but for most of you, if you contact me and you tell me about all of your successes, right, I will be encouraged, I'll be, I would be excited for you. But if you start telling me about what God is calling you to do and how you're moving towards that in the middle of your career, that will be far, far, far more encouraging to me. I'm not expecting all of you to be missionaries. Some of you might be called to missionaries. Go and do it. I know you're terrified, but start. Start moving in that direction. Some of you guys are probably just going to work. And it would be so encouraging to me if you said, you know what, Howard, I've been praying a lot about what you've been, you've been talking about, and I really think that you know, God's telling us to live upside down. Oh, well, what does that mean? Well, you know how like, you're supposed to tithe and give 10%? Well, we're going to give 90%, and we're going to live off of 10% so that we can really further missions all over the world. Because we make a lot of money, God's blessed us with a promotion, but we realize that we don't need any of that stuff. And so we're going to live upside down. I'd be like, whoa, that's crazy. Oh, Howard, we, we sold our house, me and my wife, we sold our house. I know that we, you know, have some kids, but we realize that five bedrooms is probably too much. We're not going to have five kids like you. We'll have three, we'll have a three-bedroom house, we'll move into a smaller house, and then we'll give the rest to missions. Or you say, you know what, Howard, you know, I've been thinking about racism and thinking about like how we're not, things aren't changing and I'm going to move my family into a really bad neighborhood in Augusta. What? What about safety? Well, we know that we trust the Lord. We know that we need to be the salt and light around us and to reach our neighbors. Or if you say, you know, Howard, you know, I, I know I'm a full-time student and I have a lot to do, but I'm going to spend every weekend going to the neighborhood next door and I'm going I'm to um, do a children's ministry. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compile a list of old people and I'm going to go and visit them every week. I'm going to bring them food, see what they need, pray for them. Or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to get a, a, a group of students together in my, in my, my dorm and we're going to pray every week for this country. Or we're going to pray every week for this, this situation. Or That would be more encouraging to me than you said, hey, I just, be, I just made CEO and I have a big boat and a big house and a big car and everything that the, the American dream offers. Now, is that sin in itself? No. But oftentimes it is a Christian that has forgotten the mission. There's this prayer in, um, I think, in the comic book of prayer. He says, you know, Lord, don't bless me with too much right, so that I don't, I feel like I don't need you, and don't bless me with too little, or take away too much, make me suffer too much, where I'll, I'll become resentful for, uh, of you. And I thought that was a really powerful prayer, like, if you find yourself being blessed, then bless, but do it because of the mission of God, and starting from adoration, where everything pales in comparison to God, and I will be the first to tell you, I have a lot of problems in my life. One of those things is I like to buy things, like part of my addiction process is that whenever I feel down, I buy something and it makes me feel good. Right? I'm just being really honest with you because I don't really care what you think. But that's something that I have to struggle with. Right? 
And I do. Like, hopefully you'll see in, in, in my life that I do struggle with these things and I do try to overcome them somehow. I continually move forward. And maybe it's not, it's not, maybe it's not lightning. Maybe it's not really fast. But I, what I'm encouraging you guys to do is wherever you are in this process, in the mission of God, to move towards what God is calling you to do. To move towards laying those things down that have become idols in your life. To stop taking glory from God. To stop even doing missions in your own name. So next time I say, hey, what's the mission of God? And hopefully you'll remember these three passages. You don't have to you know, cite them verse, but you can remember God's promise to the world through, uh, through Abraham, to Matthew. Jesus is the Great Commission. He says, this is what I command you to do, make disciples of all nations. And then the great multitude that surrounds the throne of God, worshiping for all eternity. And this is what we're moving towards. And I think, and I think that there's statistics on this, because uh, I read them somewhere, but I don't really good with numbers, but that your generation wants to be the generation that actually does something with their life, right? Have you heard that before? That more than anything, your generation wants to be someone, more than being famous, your generation actually wants to make a difference. Well, let me tell you, contributing to the multitude, you're done here, contributing to the multitude, the great multitude that, sounds, uh, that surrounds the throne room of God. That's the most thing that you can do. The most. And before you go home and start selling all your stuff and telling your mom you're going to move to Africa, start with your heart. Start with adoration because that's what I didn't do. I get really excited about accomplishing big things, but start with adoration. Read through the Psalms. Pray through the Psalms. Take what, what, what sometimes I like to do when I read through the Psalms is I'll take out like, like the person that's, you know, wrote, that wrote it and then put me into it and kind of read it as in first person. Um, what, what Trevor tries to do is every single morning he will go through the alphabet and he'll think, try to think of a word that starts with the letter A, that I adore you, God. Um, B, uh, you're beautiful, God, or Jesus. You know, C, you are captivating. Jesus, you know, and he just goes through it. He does it every day, and he tries to do like different words, and his vocabulary has gotten much bigger. He's very, very kind now. <laughs> He's like, Howard, you're really captivating. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know? But looking for ways to bring adoration into your heart. I'm reading this book by Timothy Keller right now about prayer. And it's so, so, so challenging. Just talking about starting with adoration. And I don't do that. I just go immediately, Jesus, I just pray that you save Kyung. He's really messed up. You know, I do things like that, right? <laughs> Instead of being like, God, I, you know, I think that, that you are the most merciful, amazing God because I fail you all the time and yet you still love me. And today you blessed me by doing this, and I can't fathom how amazing you are. And I was just thinking about my wife and how I didn't deserve her, but yet you still continue to pour out your blessings on me, even though I fail. And I start thinking about all those things, and all of a sudden God becomes far, far bigger than me or many of my problems. And so when I start praying for Kyung, all of a sudden I have faith that God can save Kyung and can fix Kyung. Right? Because I, I have the right perspective. You remember a long time ago when I taught about Hezekiah? And <coughs> this, uh, the, these armies were banding together to attack Israel. And Hezekiah, what did he do? He laid out his, the letters that he received from the king. Anybody remember that? He lays it out before God. And he starts begging God to do something. And then he starts to praise God, talking about how, God big, how big God is. And then, of course, they win. So what I'm telling you to do, start with adoration and then move into missions. Start in adoration. Every single day, move into missions. 
God, what can I do? I wish, uh, you know, I, if you could come up with a habit every day, I want to talk about how awesome God is. You think about and meditate about how awesome God is using the Psalms, right? And then thinking about, God, what do you want me to do today? God, what do you, how do you want me to impact somebody today? Right? This mission trip, you should be looking around saying, hey, you know, who's lonely here? Who doesn't have very many friends? I'm going to make them feel very, very loved and special. Oh, who needs help? I'm going to serve them. And who needs prayer? I'm going to pray for them. Right? If you constantly think in those terms, you start living the mission of God. It's not in Africa. It's wherever you are that you will spread the mission of God and God will start moving mountains around you because you're being faithful. Cool, right? And I try this. My wife is way better at living the mission of God than I am because when I get, you know, alone and I don't want to do anything else, I don't want to talk to anybody else, right? My wife will talk to everybody. I told you that one time when she went to food line and some lady was weeping on her way out. My wife asked her what was wrong and the lady just like told her her life story and Raylan is praying for her, sharing the gospel in front of food line. It's crazy thing. I'm like, what? That stuff never happens to me. And it happens to her all the time. Like things like that happens to her all the time because she lives the mission of God. Sometimes we just keep blinders on. So my challenge to you, start with adoration. Second thing, ask. Ask God, what do you want me to do today? How can I serve you today? How can I live the mission of God today? And contribute to it. Right? Contribute to it. And hopefully here on mission trips, you will consider, not just on mission trips, mission trips are almost the enemy because you think you can only do the mission of God here. This is not true. But hopefully you'll consider on a mission trip, is that can we live the mission of God even more faithfully on the mission trip? Do we need to do the other things? What's the most effective way to, to live the mission of God? Not just on mission trips, but your whole life. Cool? Amen? All right. I'm going to pray for you guys, and then um, I can't wait to sing Taste of Eternity. Taste of Eternity is this, right? When we worship, we're worshiping with a multitude. You get it? So let me pray for you guys, and then we'll sing Taste of Eternity, and I'll cry. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your faithfulness, God, in bringing us in this journey that you don't expect us to have everything together right at this second, right at this moment, but you carry us in grace to the place that you have allowed us to be impactful for eternity, for others. And so I just pray that you would break our hearts for the things that break your heart. That you would help us to care about the things that you care about and not what the world cares about. And that you would make us, in every aspect of our life, God, truly missionaries, carrying out the mission of God in boldness, in courage, in selflessness, in adoration for you, knowing that you are bigger and you are worthy. And so we, we ask your anointing on every single person in this room, God, because we need it. We need it. We refuse to live like the rest of the world. We give this whole night to you, this whole week to you, and we say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.